What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Knicks are amazing. I love them. And Thibodeau as a head coach is like going on a date that you assume will be terrible, but it turns out way better than expected. Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where we would never take away your season tickets. I'm Haley O'Shaughnessy. I'm a recovering basketball writer. And I'm Jordan Liggins, an editor at Mojo. This episode is our ode to the Knicks. But first, we have to talk about one thing that happened over the weekend. LeBron James had some some things to say. And just going off our last episode where we talked about the play-in tournament and how people are going back on their word, LeBron is the poster child of that right now. <laughs> are you talking about the quote where he said that whoever came up with the play-in tournament should be fired? Yes, exactly. Yeah. But let me remind you of what he said March last year. Quote, You got Portland, you got Memphis, New Orleans, and Sacramento tinkering around there. So if there's five or ten games left, why not let those guys battle it out? Make them play each other all five games. Ah. (laughs) When did he say that? March 2020. And then this weekend he said what? Can you read the direct quote? Yes. Quote, whoever came up with this shit needs to be fired. End quote. (laughs) And he means to play in tournament. Yes, (laughs) how it started versus how it's going. It was all good when the Lakers weren't weren't down there. And I totally agree. This is bogus now that we have fallen so fast. (laughs) The Lakers are in seventh, not even really close to the eighth seed. The Grizzlies who are three and a half games behind them, but they are really close. The fifth and sixth seed Mavericks and Blazers and the Lakers they all have the same record. That's why when we heard Luka Doncic and then Mark Cuban complain about the play in tournament, it's because they're all right there. One of them could drop into that level. I really, really, really hate that LeBron is saying that. I hated when Mark <laughs> Cuban was saying it. I hate that LeBron is saying it. It's rare that you can find something to improve the game that the NBA will A, do so easy to just say, look, this playoffs, we're going to eliminate conferences. It would bring better parity. But the NBA doesn't do things. For some reason, they voted on this one. They did it. They felt compelled to act by having a shorter season to create the play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. It's good for business, which is like the American way. That's how you sell people here things. That's why Americans loved the Super League proposals, because it, it seems like it's good business. It draws in new fans. There are additional games. But it's also good for competition. Combined with the reformed draft lottery odds, now you have teams who are not just tanking. You don't have to have this sharp pivot. It's not, well, that's impossible. So I'm going to just peel off and not win any more games. You have a real situation now where it's feasible to actually get into this tournament that could get you into the real tournament. I understand why if you're in the seventh seed, and you're a bit older, and your most important coworker 
is not also performing at top level and you're nervous and maybe it wouldn't even be such a big deal if I didn't feel like the NBA and its board of governors were so swayed so easily. But (laughs) LeBron saying something and your most influential owner, at least vocally saying something. I read that and I was like, well, there's not going to be one next year. And I could be totally wrong. It would suck. Yeah. I love how it's those teams that are right there on the bubble. Like you don't see the sun or jazz mentioning anything about it. You don't see Memphis or the Spurs who are like the Blazers said anything. I don't think so. I think it's those people that are, you know, the the Lakers in Dallas who think they should be higher. And what we were talking about earlier, (laughs) honestly, us Lakers, we should be thankful that we're even this close after a atrocious end of the season that we've had. So we should be thankful that there is another opportunity and we're not just out or yeah. on the way out. The Eastern Conference teams haven't even heard that it's happening yet. So that's why they haven't said anything. <laughs> like news travels slow over just here. Just so thankful. <laughs> Speaking of the Eastern Conference, though, that's what today's episode's on. We have a very special thing that our producer Isabel and a lot of people have poured love into and I'm very excited about. Did you watch any Knicks games over the weekend? Yes. And they're they're such a delight. It is such a joy. We kind of coming full circle from like one of our first episodes that we talked about, you know, when the Knicks are fun, the NBA is fun. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So the Knicks won twice this weekend. They beat the Bulls and the Rockets. Um, Extremely impressive showing against both. Julius Randle, 34 points, 31 points. He just continues to be amazing and remarkable for them. Earlier this season, when the Knicks first started winning, I got an email from a woman named Chiara, and she was telling me that she was trying to explain to her friend why the Knicks being good was so important because her friend had just seen it in that Disney movie, Soul. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. The one that just won an award. There's a scene where they make fun of the Knicks and Mm -hmm. her friend didn't understand why it would be such an understandable reference, I think, to put in a Disney movie, something about the Knicks being bad. So after that, we were moved to ask you guys, can you call us and tell us what Knicks moment broke you? Because we were trying to show that it's been so bad for so long and like really achingly bad from these calls. (laughs) because we want to prove we want to show Chiara's friends this is exactly why so we put together your calls we have our great old friend Steve taking you through them and then after that we're going to talk to our friend Roger Sherman about what it's like to believe and to fall in love again and all of those wonderful things take it away Steve It's cloudy days like these that make me think about the special things in my life that I miss. Taking the family to the beach, a romantic night out with a loved one, or watching the New York Knicks in the NBA playoffs. Well, now's the time to bring all that back. So kick off your shoes and take off that tie. Log off Twitter and enjoy the Spinsters Radio Hour with me, your host, Steve Silk.
Coming at you 17 minutes past the hour, it's next night here on Spinsters Radio. Phone lines are open, we're taking your calls. 502-874-4453, call me. We want to hear your thoughts, your hopes, your heartaches, your dreams, your ceiling for Mitchell Robinson, and everything in between. We have a caller from Westchester County with something on his mind. Mike, you're on the line. Hi, this is Mike from Westchester County in New York. And my moment for the Knicks where I kind of lost hope was seeing Patrick Ewing in a uh, Seattle Supersonics jersey. To see a guy who looked so iconic in the uniform for years, the, the sort of savior wearing another team's uniform just didn't feel right. Uh, the garden didn't feel like the garden, and I almost gave up at that point. But I'm glad they're fun again. All right. Thanks very much. Bye. Mikey, pain is never easy to talk about. But the garden is back and the garden is blooming. Because hope is here with the spring and joy is but a short time away. We're talking heartaches this evening here on the Spencer's Radio Hour. It's Nick's night. Let's hear from two more callers. Hi, this is David in Los Angeles. I've been hearing it for over 15 years. The voice in my head never stops. Jerome James. Jerome James. The sleeper pick in all the mountains of sad moments from the last two decades for me is that name. Jerome James! Jerome James! From Howard Beck, on July 14th, 2005, Bastille Day. James will be installed as the starting center, a job he will win by default. The Knicks traded their only true center, Nazar Muhammad, in February, and traded his replacement, Kurt Thomas, in June. Kurt Thomas, in 2005. The team drafted a center, Channing Fry but he may not be ready for full-time work as a rookie. So the void will be filled by James, a seven-foot-one journeyman who turns 30 in November and has career averages of 4.9 points and 3.5 rebounds a game. He later arrived at his first training camp out of shape, and in his first season, he only averaged 3.1 points and 2.1 rebounds in nine minutes per game. James missed much of the season due to injury, And when he was not injured, he frequently played insignificant minutes. James was suspended on January 2nd, 2006 for not being prepared to practice. He played a total of 90 games over four seasons for the Knicks. Thank you, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, Jerome James, you can never really trust anyone with two first names. Jerome James! Jerome James! Thank you. Let's go next. Yo, this is Jason. I live in Brooklyn. There was like one moment where I was like close to denouncing them all together. It was in 2007 when Marbury was being benched by Isaiah. And then he told Isaiah that <laughs> he told Isaiah literally that he had dirt on him. And so he couldn't bench him. He like literally blackmailed his own coach in, in order to start. And I was like, yo, that's just, this is wild. <laughs> this is crazy. Our deepest thanks to David and Jason. We're 22 minutes past the hour here in the Land of Smooth on Spinster's Radio. I'm Steve Silk, here to delight 
Here to ignite. Here to make sure the vibe is right. All the headaches, all the stresses, all the worries you've accumulated during the Dolan era, I want you to do me a favor and get them out of here. Okay, phone lines are open. We're taking your calls. 502-874-4453. Call me. Are you feeling less alone? I hope so. I want you to know there are others out there who feel how you feel. Love how you love. Starberry broke many hearts. Let's hear from another. Hi, Haley and Jordan. This is Netta calling from New York City. The 2007 season is probably the most painful for me. Um, we were coming off of the Anuka Braun Saunders sexual harassment case, which as a young woman really made me question why I was rooting for this organization and what it really meant to be a Knicks fan. Later that season, or pretty early on actually, Stefan Marbury, who was the starting point guard at the time, and also the pride and joy of Isaiah Thomas, the GM and coach, left the team in Phoenix. He just didn't get on the plane. And that said so much to me about the state of the team and the mentality that they had. That moment was when I knew there was no future. And when you see players like Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett putting it all on the floor and wanting to win as much as we do as fans, it makes such a difference. So I'll leave you with this. Let's go, Knicks. Hey, Haley and Jordan. This is Kelly from New Jersey. I'm a diehard Knicks fan. My moment losing hope in our team was the 2012 playoffs, one of the only seasons where the team showed any life in the past two decades. They fall behind 0-2 to the Heat, and Marsh Stoudemire goes out there and gets in a fight with a fire hydrant. He gets stitches and is out for two games, and that was basically that. I love the passion, but maybe he should have gone and sat in another wine bath before tanking the season. You can't make that shit up. Anyway, love the pod, guys. Thanks. Spencer's family, it is Keith from West Covina, California. And the moment that I basically lost my shit was after the Knicks 2012-2013 season, a team which had my god Rashid Wallace and Kurt Thomas, also the god, on the same team, um, under the beautiful guidance of coach Mike Woodson. And the next year, Mike didn't do as hot, and soon enough, we were left with Phil Jackson and Derek Fisher and the embers of the tattered Lakers organization that Phil tried to bring here. And now we have Emmanuel Quickly, we have Fibs, and we have Hope. What the fuck is going on with the Knicks? I love it. Great pod. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Much love to Nessa, Kelly, and Keith. I'm Steve Silk, and I want every Knicks fan to hear me. Phil can't hurt you anymore. He does not have that power over you. You're stronger than him. You're tougher than him. Your life doesn't have to fit into his triangle anymore. Almost 29 minutes past the hour. It's Nick's night here on Spinster's Radio. Up next, we got Dan from Brooklyn, New York, talking one spicy meatball. Hi, my name is Dan. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for having me, Spinsters. One moment I specifically remember losing hope as a Knicks fan was December 10th, 2013, when Chris Herring asked Mike Woodson why Pablo Prigioni didn't start anymore. And Woodson's answer was, quote, the East is big, man. 
That was one moment where I lost hope that it really sticks out in my brain, and I'm really hoping that we don't have any sort of repeat of that moving forward. Love the show, guys. Take care. My name is Carolyn, and I am from Long Island, New York, and I'm a lifelong Knicks fan, so uh, picking kind of one moment where I lost hope in the Knicks is pretty easy, and that moment is March 17, 2014, when the Knicks hired Phil Jackson as the president, and the next 38, 39 months was just pure insanity and madness. We fired Mike Woodson. Yet we hired Derek Fisher, who was rumored and possibly linked to ex-girlfriends and ex-wives of current NBA and Knicks players at the time. So that's always a great look to have your coach and your players possibly sleeping around with the same person. That's always a great team builder and camaraderie. So that whole, you know, Knicks time from when we appointed Phil Jackson as our president on March 17th, 2014 to when we fired him in June. So super glad we have Phil Jackson as a president of the Knicks to really solidify our history. Hey guys, it's John from uh, Long Island. And the moment with the Knicks that kind of made me lose a little bit of hope is when Matt Barnes back in, I think it was 2015, and he beat up Derek Fisher. He literally fist fought Derek Fisher, who just got hired to be the head coach of the Knicks. And it's moments like that that even regardless of whatever the Knicks put on the court, the Knicks will always be the Knicks. That was Dan, Carolyn, and John. Thank you so much for your vulnerability, your warmth, your disdain for Mike Woodson, courage. You're with Steve Silk here, 30 minutes past the hour in the Land of Smooth on Spinster's Radio. Pour something, smoke something, burn that picture of Derek Fisher, and if you're with that special someone, hold them close. If not, do not despair. I'll show you some care. The number is 502-874-4453. Call me. You've got another caller on the line? Friend, what's on your heart? Hey, this is Quinn. I'm a Knicks fan from Brooklyn. I remember truly, truly losing hope in this team during their worst ever 2015 season when Alexei Shved went to the basket and threw up a prayer that went about 50 feet over the top of the backboard. Check it out. They were playing the Pistons. They somehow managed to win that game anyway, but that was just a deep, deep moment of despair. Thank you. Hey guys, this is Kenny from Los Angeles, California. The moment I wanted to pinpoint uh, came deep into the 2018 Knicks season with uh, Jeff Hornacek as the coach, uh, and it came with an altercation with Joaquin Noah. Now, it's no surprise that the Knicks are dysfunctional, but I didn't think anyone could hate Joaquin Noah and Jeff Hornacek more, and somehow they found a way to get more people to hate the Knicks with such a defeated moment. Thanks, guys. Kenny and Quinn. Wow. It's Nick's Night here on the Spinsters Radio Hour. I'm Steve Silk. Here to ignite, here to delight, here to make sure the vibe is right. We're taking calls and healing hearts. Another caller on the line now. What's on your mind, friend? Hey, 
Hey, Jordan and Haley. My name is Jeremy. I'm, I'm usually an optimist, but picking a specific moment where I've lost hope in a Knicks season is like trying to find a needle in a haystack, but the haystack's actually just more needles. So I, let's talk coaching. November 15th, 2018, the Knicks were 4-11, and and Fizdale's way to motivate the team is by bringing in an axe and having everyone autograph it. He said, I promise I'm not going to kill anybody, but then he murdered my dreams because the Knicks went 13-54 and for the rest of the season. December 2nd, 2019, Knicks are down 38 to the Bucks after three, and this bearded potato in Buddy Holly glasses is smiling, smiling, as he high-fives Bobby Portis, who, like us, cannot comprehend the humor. Take that for data. Thank you. Bye. Hey, Jordan and Haley, this is Dee from New York. My biggest disappointment as a Knicks fan, where I lost all hope, was when they traded KP for essentially a sack of potatoes. All right. Love you, girls. Bye. And oh, yes, potatoes on the brain. Potatoes are good. You know what else is good? Feelings. Tell me yours. 502-874-4453. Call me. Listening to Nick's Night here on the Spinsters Radio Hour. Call her. You're live in the land of smooth. Hi, Haley. Hi, Jordan. It's Andrew from New York City. My lowest point as a Knicks fan is unequivocally June 30th, 2019, after being told by every insider that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were coming to the Knicks. The Knicks end up with Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington, and Taj Gibson, while Kevin Durant and Kyrie did choose New York, but chose a team that, for the majority of my lifetime, had lived in New Jersey thus creating the moment where I wondered if this was ever going to be worth it. Hi, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm from New York. And my pinpoint moment is January 31st, 2019, when the Knicks traded Chris Tabs Porzingis. At that moment, I was working in an office on 31st Street and 6th Avenue, and a lot of the office got really, really sad and depressed. And the only thing we could do was literally look out our window and see our unicorn getting traded. A couple of us were thinking maybe we can go out and protest and how the trade hadn't gone through yet or something. But unfortunately, you know, the sad reality set in that James Dolan doesn't want us to win and wants us to be sad and miserable forever. Hopefully it changes soon, but this is a tough time. Thank you. We all cope in different ways. Phone lines are open. We're taking your calls. 502-874-4453. Call me. I'm here to listen. Here to learn about you, about your blues and orange. I understand this next caller had something very special taken from him. Friend, tell me your story. Hey, this is Mike from Astoria, New York. I began losing hope in the Knicks during the 2016 campaign uh, when I was deciding whether or not to renew my season ticket. Um, I kept my season tickets, but next year the decision was made for me when uh, Jimmy Boy himself took away my season tickets and banned me from the garden for life after I told him to sell the team outside the garden. Watching the team uh, this year from home has been great. Go Knicks. 
Mike, you're one of many who have had their season tickets taken away for speaking the truth. Folks, take solace. At least you don't wear a fedora on stage like the man who took them from you. Very unsilky. 36 minutes past the hour here on Spinster's Radio. It's Nick's night. Our next caller has a story about love and loss. A lot of loss. 50 on the season. We're talking 2015-2016. Caller, you're on the line. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion, co-host of the podcast Take Line, host of the web series All Caps, Emmy-winning host of the former NBA desktop and former host of the Binge Mode podcast. February 8th, 2016, Derek Fisher lost five in a row uh, and replaced by Kurt Rambis. Kurt Rambis, you should know, uh, has among the worst win percentages in modern NBA history as a coach. He had a a win percentage of something like 18 as the head coach of the Timberwolves. Johnny Flynn, stand up, good times all around. Uh, And then I think a few days later, I want to say a week, either a week uh, to two weeks after Rambis took over from Derek Fisher, he was caught liking a a porn tweet, a tweet from a Asian porn site. It was at like to touch underscore. And the tweet was a woman. And it says NSFW in kind of like a banner block that was kind of like covering uh, her various upper body parts. And then the text is love female masturbation, hashtag NSFW, and Kurt Rambis liked it. Love hurts. And sometimes likes hurt too. That was Nick's night here on the Spinsters Radio Hour. I'm Steve Silk. A silky thank you to Tom Thibodeau, Alexi Schved, and the 2023 first round pick from Dallas. And my New York Knicks fans, always remember, home court advantage or not, keep it silky. This episode of Spinsters is brought to you by Sonos. The Sonos Move is their premium portable smart speaker for listening all around your home and outdoors. I just got a Sonos Move. I love it so much. I don't know how I lived without it. Neither does my roommate. We take it all the time from my room up to the roof when we want to relax. We take it outside when we're doing gardening. You can take it all around the house. The battery life is wonderful and the sound is super clear. I also don't love clunky technology, but this looks great. I put it right next to my candles and plants and it looks sleek and wonderful. Discover speakers for all around your home and beyond at Sonos.com, including Move and the all-new Rome. This latest portable addition to the Sonos system is smart, lightweight, waterproof, and ready for any adventure. So start yours now at Sonos.com. This episode of Spinsters is brought to you by Indeed. You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster 
Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash spinsters. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash spinsters. Indeed.com slash spinsters. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. We're back with the cheeriest Knicks fan we know. Hey, I'm I'm Roger Sherman. I'm a writer for The Ringer. I normally write about football, but my passion, the thing that I have always loved more than any other sports thing is the New York Knicks. And it's generally been the thing that's made me the least happy in my life. But that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> it had been so long and I had lost faith in the Knicks making me happy. And I had started to view anything they did as something that would turn out badly. I'd started to pre-assume that any move they made, any signing, any coach they brought in would just be a failure. And I would start justifying. And you guys know me. I'm like a generally a pretty optimistic and happy person. But I just, yeah. I just lost all faith in the Knicks. And the joy of it has been being proven 100% wrong and just soaking in this team that has improved in so many ways. Every player is playing pretty much at like a career level. It's incredible. I love it. They make me so happy. Uh, I haven't been this happy about a sports thing in so long. Well, so can you tell us how you became a Knicks fan and at what age? The Knicks made the NBA Finals when I was four in 1994. And in that era, the Knicks had, you know, Patrick Ewing, John Starks. I tell myself that I watched the 1994 NBA Finals, but in reality, I probably didn't understand basketball back then. Um, And, you know, I grew up with the Knicks being great year after year. They made the finals again in 1999. And basically, Knicks fans have spent the last 20 or so years talking about how awesome these teams from the 90s that almost won the championship, like they came close. And that's always made me a little sad because normally you hear people reminiscing about their teams that actually won the championship. But it would have been nice if, if they hadn't lost to Michael Jordan so many times. And the Knicks, since 1999, I think they've won their division once. They've made the playoffs a few times, uh, not since 2013. So yeah, there there haven't been a lot of a lot of great things, but they've always been my favorite team. I don't know why. I, I'm also a Yankees fan, and like the Yankees win a lot, but I've always just, for some reason, just been so emotionally connected to this team that doesn't make the playoffs very often, doesn't have a lot of reasons to celebrate. So you're playoff bound. They have won 12 of their last 13 games. Julius Randle was the first all-star since Porzingis in 2018. And he had seven 30-point games, which is the most in a calendar month since Carmelo Anthony back in February 2014. So now they're getting all of these random stats that are like, oh, he's the first person to have 26 points and eight rebounds in the franchise since X year. And that comes for franchises that are either really, really bad because they're trying to grab at anything 
or those stats come when you're really, really good because all of a sudden all of these things are happening for the first time in a long time and it's great. And so everyone's like, all these stats are changing, all these records are changing. Yeah, they do keep coming up with funny, funny stats there that have just indicated how long it's been since competence. You're supposed to be able to dig yourself into competence from having, you know, the worst record in the league or coming close to the worst record in the league. You're supposed to be able to at least get back to near the playoffs. And it just has, there have been so many surprising and amazing things about this team. How happy are you that Derek Fisher is no longer in your life? And <laughs> what advice do you give to Sparks fans? And how, how do we deal? The Derek Fisher thing was weird. It was while Phil Jackson was the executive of the Knicks and was just bringing in all the people that reminded him of being on the Lakers. He had never been a coach. There were some scandalous nuggets that have not been fully confirmed about his personal life, maybe intermingling with some of the players' personal lives that were not great. But yeah, um, I don't know how he got another job after he was with the Knicks. Um, there kept on being people who were brought into the Knicks in roles that it felt like they should not have been brought in. And when Phil Jackson was the executive, and he was like, I like Derek Fisher. He should be my head coach. And neither, he wasn't an executive, and Derek Fisher wasn't, is not, was not a head coach. I'm, I'm surprised it's not just burning in flames with the Sparks. Maybe he's learned something in the past few years. Do you get the sense he has? No, not at all. That's why they lost Candace Parker. <laughs> mm. That's why Candace Parker is no longer on the Sparks, is because yeah. Derek Fisher is there. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of these things where it's like, oh, let's hire like, a young coach who can associate with the players. And it's like maybe a little bit less associating with the players, Derek. <laughs> maybe take it. Don't hang out with them outside of your job. Cause that's, that's why Tom weird. Thibodeau works because he has no outside of his job. His job is his life. His life is his job. As he's famously said before, he's not going to get married because he's already married to the game. Speaking of Tom Thibodeau, you were telling me when I asked you to come on that you don't think Knicks fans, your fellow Knicks fans, are that fond of you anymore because <laughs> you wrote something when he got hired that was, overall, I think you would say too negative. Well, it was extremely wrong, like wrong in every way. When Tom Thibodeau was hired, I wrote a piece basically saying that it was a terrible decision. He has been good working with young players. His teams don't shoot the three, and you kind of need to do that in the NBA. And like, I tried to justify it, but it was so incredibly wrong. I've been so happy to be so wrong. I love going back and reading this article and thinking about how great this team has turned out to be. I think back on it, and like, the Knicks have done this thing to my brain where like they can bring someone in, and no matter who it is, every person they brought in failed, every move they had failed. And it got to the point where Tom Thibodeau, who is a great coach and has a solid track record, was hired by the Knicks. And I, I talked myself into it being awful because I just couldn't believe that they would do a good thing. And he has been incredible. And I would die for him. And I love him and his, his extremely small amount of hair on top of his head. And like the thing about this Knicks team that's been so great is I had no faith in any of the 
people involved or any of the players. And they just come out every night and prove every negative thing you could think about them wrong. They fight for every possession. They fight for every ga- games that you think you're like, it's time to turn off the TV. They come back and win. The ball gets rotated to someone wide open behind the three-point arc. And you're like, well, that's three points. And the next thing you know, someone's like contesting the shot. They just don't give up on things. Like there's so many players on the roster. Julius Randle is going to win most improved player. But there's so many players on this team who are having the best year of their career or have improved greatly from years past. Nerland's Noel has just been incredible. RJ Barrett has taken this huge leap from his rookie year. Guys like Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks, like were okay. And now they're both playing great. It's just so many people have so outperformed what you would expect for them. I, I think a lot of the joy I get from this team is how little I believed, how far they've come, how bad I thought this team would be, and how incredibly cohesive and exciting and how how hard they fight and how much they surprisingly win. Yeah, it's amazing that you didn't need a savior for this to happen or that the savior came in a different form other than a major NBA superstar. For so long, it felt like the Knicks were kind of doing this thing where they were just waiting for someone to, someone like LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or whoever the free agent of the month would come to the Knicks. For like 15 years, that was the Knicks' only plan. And a lot of elements of like, player development didn't seem to be happening. There was no even idea that like the team that's on the court in 2017 would even in any way be connected to a team down the road that did well because so much of the hope was just that a good player would sign and other good players would sign with them. And this team actually feels like they're making these players better. They're working together to get better. It just feels like there's actually like a sense of trying to organically improve instead of hoping some random person will show up and sign with the Knicks, which they never do because you're owned by James Dolan. They had to figure out how to do something like this that's that comes from within, that's through these players, and they and they did it. It's stunning and it's incredible to watch. What do you feel like their chances are? Not jinxing wanting to be hopeful and positive. But how are you feeling about their playoff chances? Over the past month or so, they've been one of the best teams in the league. I started out just being like happy that they were in the running for the playoffs. And I guess part of the joy I've had from this team is keeping my expectations low. In my head at this point, they're winning a series and then see what happens. I, I think they're going to get home court advantage for a series. And I think that they can beat any of the teams below them. Could I do a little history tour of the Knicks' current playoff drought? Give us all the information you want. After the Knicks traded for Carmelo Anthony, the Knicks made the playoffs several years in a row. Within the last decade, the Knicks had a really good team. In the 2012-2013 season, they had Carmelo. They had built built this team that, at the time, this team hit more threes than any team in NBA history. It was kind of like ahead of its time in the way they played because... The team was built around Carmelo and Amari, and Amari was hurt that year. And so what they did was they started playing Carmelo at the four, which is a thing that, you know, would make a lot of sense in today's NBA. But at the time, seemed unusual because he he was like a small forward. You wanted to have two bigs. 
Um, and they set the NBA record for three-pointers in a season. And then they made the playoffs and they won a playoff series for the first time in so long. And then they went up the Pacers and they got wrecked by Roy Hibbert. And instead of continuing along this like cool thing they discovered, they traded for Andrea Bargnani. They traded a good player and a draft pick for Andrea Bargnani, who was not good and was one of the most expensive contracts in the NBA. And just for the idea of having someone there to play the four so that Carmelo wouldn't have to, because you can't do that in the in the NBA. And it was like they struck gold and threw it all away. Uh, they missed the playoffs the next year. And they went from this team that was good and was uh, second in the East behind the Heat to just missing the playoffs year after year after year after year. And they haven't been back since. And to make the playoffs now and to have it sort of be organic and to have it be built around like R.J. Barrett's development, Julius Randle's growth uh, into like a legitimate star. It just feels like the right things are happening. And time and time again with the Knicks, you just think that every decision they're making is leading down a road to nowhere. And now it feels like they're going somewhere. And I start to believe, and maybe that's not the best thing, but it's happening it's really turning into a thing that they really do seem like they could win a playoff series, not just make the playoffs. It scares me to say it out loud, but I don't see why not. They're coming together. They're growing. It's incredible. For this season, was there a particular moment that you realized that they were good? It's really been a, a gradual rise. It, it's kind of all happening at once in that like the Knicks were one of the worst teams in the league year after year after year after year. And instead of sort of like building up to competence, it's all happening at once. And like, it's not like they're just making the playoffs as an eight seed. They might like get home court advantage for the first round. Like they're going from totally out of the playoffs, like 15 seeds, 12 seeds to like maybe a top four seed. It's like kind of hard to process. I always expected it would be a slower build for sure. And, um, it's really strange to deal with. I, I didn't think it would happen this quickly. I didn't think it would happen at all. This is what I want to end on. Is there anything that you want to say just as a Knicks fan? Like, I'm so happy. It's it's like none of this feels like it's supposed to be happening. It came with no warning. If you believed in in that this was going to happen before the year, like I'm proud of you. But the joy, I think, comes from the totally unexpected nature of this, the way that every single player jumped almost overnight from being someone you wouldn't expect to be great to having pivotal moments time after time after time. I can't imagine what it would be like to have believed in this team and to be vindicated by them. But like, I'm almost glad I lost faith because to have this be so unexpected to come totally out of nowhere has really been the joy of it for me. That's our show. All these Knicks voicemails were so, so much fun to hear. Please 
Keep leaving us your fan confessions, irrational opinions, horoscope-based predictions on our voicemail at 502-874-4453 or send us an email at spinsters at bluewirepods.com to be featured on the show. Spinsters is hosted by me, Haley O'Shaughnessy, and Jordan Liggins. This episode was produced by Jordan, Isabel Jocelyn, and Alex Ward. The voice of Steve Silk was performed by the lovely Tyler Parker. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard, and our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yales, and me. Hi, my name's Daniel from Lancaster, California. My confession is... I'm a Bulls fan, grew up a Bulls fan, but I always hated how they pushed Thibodeau out, and I still really, really like him. So saying the Knicks winning is conflicting because I've always been raised to, like, hate the Knicks and the Pistons. So it's like I hate the Knicks as an institution, but I like a lot of the players and obviously the coach of the Knicks individually, uh, with the exception of Derrick Rose, for reasons we don't have to get into. So, I don't know. It's like, I want the people on the Knicks to do well, but I don't want the Knicks to do well as an institution. It's so conflicting. It's like capitalism in a nutshell. What am I supposed to do? All right. Thank you. Bye.